so there are several, at least from my point of view, several weird Christmas traditions uh, throughout history and throughout the world right now. Uh, I, I was reading about one this morning. It's in Austria. It's Crumbus. Has anybody ever heard of this guy? Crumbus? You should go look him up. It's a weird thing. It's a weird thing that they do. It's a guy who's like, uh, you know, uh, he, he comes before he comes before the guy that they call Santa Claus, and he basically carries a bag and a whip. And if you're a bad kid, he throws you in the bag and hits you with the whip. Looks like a goat demon thing. It it's a weird thing. A lot of, a lot of strange traditions. And if we were to go back in time, let's say we were to go back to the medieval church or, or some of these other things. Uh, there would be some pretty, at least from, from our vantage points, things that we would go, well, that doesn't look like Christmas. <laughs> that's, that's not the type of thing that we, that we have at Christmas. And though I don't want to sit here and talk about all the weird customs and all of the, the, the history of some of these customs, there is one that I think is something that happens every year. And every time I see it, I kind of go, okay, well, now it's kind of Christmas time. It's the nativity scene, the, the manger scene, right? This was started in Italy uh, back in the medieval uh, time. There was a guy who was preaching a sermon on the incarnation and thought, you know what would be kind of neat is if I recreated with actors and animals and a baby inside of this barn the nativity. And apparently everybody just went cocoa for cocoa puffs over this thing. And they just said, this is something that has to happen every year. And it's something that is, happens every year. And it's something that when we look at, it reminds us of Jesus' birth. I think many of us are quick to point out some of the inaccuracies, like probably not a barn, probably not a lot of cows, right? Pro- pro- probably no, no wise men, right? The wise men weren't there, right? Uh, couple other little things like Mary and Joseph probably weren't as well dressed as, uh, as they appear, so on and so forth. But, but it's, this, it's this scene, and, and it's, kind of, it's kind of a fun scene. And there's always one thing that I do see there that is really important. It's the shepherds, right? You have the shepherds who show up. This morning, that's who we're going to talk about, the shepherds. During the month of December, we're talking about this is a time of celebration, celebrating Jesus, celebrating the birth of Jesus. If we get to celebrate anybody's birthday, it should be the birthday of our Savior. And so we're looking at these different occasions, these different things in the, in the account of the birth of Jesus to help us to, to, to fuel our celebratory spirit during this time, right? And I can think of no greater example of rejoicing and excitement and celebration than the shepherds. So turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Last week we were in Luke 1, right, with the baby announcement. There are some things that we are going to skip over uh, just because for the sake of what, what we're looking at. We're just kind of picking our, our shots here in the book of, in the gospel of Luke. So we missed the birth of John the Baptist and Zechariah. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it talks about the census that was given throughout all of the 
the land by, by Rome, that you were supposed to return to your ancestral cities. And so here we see Mary and Joseph as they go back to Bethlehem. And in verse 7, actually, let's start up. Let's go all the way up to verse 4. <coughs> it says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from a town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. So that's important for us to know that this specific city, Bethlehem, is the city of David. This is where David comes from, right? The, the great king of Israel. The, the, the one whom all these promises of the Messiah, right? Through his lineage will come this one. And notice it says, it says, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child, right? Now we already knew that that was going to happen because we read earlier in the book, right? This angel was going to say, and so here we see that she was, she was pregnant. Verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Just a couple things here. First, notice that phrase, firstborn son. If someone is a firstborn son, that means what? There's another one, right? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, so Mary did not remain a perpetual virgin, as some have suggested. This does not mean, by the way, that we should look down on Mary. It, by all accounts, she was a very, very godly woman, right? Some, someone that we should look to and, and say, this is an example of, of, of what it looks like for a believer to follow the Lord. Also notice that she, she wraps him in swaddling clothes and puts him in a manger. I'm sure we're all familiar with what a manger was. A, a, a manger was a feeding trough. Just want to let you know, this was not a common practice, even amongst the poor. Uh, you don't normally put babies in feeding troughs, okay? And, and we, we find out the reason for this. It says, because there was no place for them in the inn. And we often, when we look at this, we go, well, how? What kind of heartless monsters in the city of Bethlehem see a pregnant lady about ready to give birth? Gives birth, and they're not going to let her inside the inn? I mean, come on, lay, her in a, lay him in a manger. Well, how about let's talk to the manager, right? I mean, you can't just let a pregnant lady out in the cold in a barn. A couple things. First of all, you got to understand there was no such thing of like an inn, like how we understand an inn, like a Motel 6, right? So it wasn't like there was these Motel 6s along the highway that they could stop and go, hey, is there a vacant room? It's probably more like a B&B situation, right? An Airbnb where you would go to a town and people would open up spare rooms that they had, right? Now, this most likely what happened here is that the houses in Bethlehem are kind of like these interesting one-and-a-half-story houses, right, where you would walk in and there would be a place for your animals. You would go up a couple steps to where the living quarters were. And so most likely what happened was Mary gives birth in this place because, one, there was probably a lot of people already in that main room, and this would have been a place of where she could have some privacy, right? There would have been, it would have been dry, Right? And this literally was the only place to put a baby because there, the other room was filled. So it, just, it probably speaks more to the fact that 
It's a crowded place, Bethlehem. It's a small town, and all of a sudden, all these people are coming back, right? This is not that they're being uh, rude or, or how, you know, get away pregnant woman. This is, a, this is just a matter of fact of what happened, right? There wasn't a lot of room. There's a lot of people. This was probably the most comfortable, safest place for Mary. Now, you also realize that because this garage, right, the garage for their animals was attached, this also would have been a really warm place. So it wasn't like there was some sort of barn, right? And this most likely happened in the spring during the summer, right? And we'll see some indications of this. So... This is what happens. Jesus is born. Right? So then we get to verse 8. It says, and in the same region, we don't know where. Um, you could probably guess. We'd probably pull out a map and we could all point to different regions of where we think sheep should go. But we don't know. It's just in the same region. And there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock. Whether this is uh, one flock with multiple people working that one flock or these are multiple shepherds with multiple flocks. We have no idea. And to be honest, I don't really care. We just know that there's shepherds out in the field in the middle of the night watching their sheep. This, by the way, indicates that it was probably warm outside. During the winter, they would have had their sheep inside of a structure to keep them from the cold. So this indicates that this is probably spring, summer, when this is happening. So notice they're outside. They're in the same region. There's these shepherds. They have these... They're watching the flock by night. And notice it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. It's likely that this angel is Gabriel. Earlier in the book, if we were doing an exposition of the book of Luke, you would see that Gabriel was called an angel of the Lord. Then the next angel that appears is Gabriel. We know that because his name is enumerated both times. Here now you have another case with an angel bringing a message. It would make logical sense that it is probably the same one, right, Gabriel. So it's likely it's Gabriel. And notice it says, and he appeared to them. In, in the Greek, this is literally, he stood right next to them. That, that, that's literally what the Greek is. He just stood there. Um, and so the, the sense you get is these guys are watching their... They're sheep, and it's not something that's happening up there. It's somebody that's right here, right? So not only is somebody just standing right here, which, by the way, I don't know how easily you get startled. That would startle me, right? All of a sudden, there's a guy. But then something else happens, and it says, And the glory of the Lord shone all around them. So all of a sudden, this guy appears. You don't necessarily know who he is. We know it's an angel. And all of a sudden, now lights are coming from the sky. The glory of the Lord. question is, what is this glory? This is likely that glory that you would see in the tabernacle, in the temple that we call the Shekinah glory, represents God's favor, represents God's visible presence. So here, you have this, these shepherds. And an angel appears, and this light happens, right? This light from heaven, this bright light. And it says, and they were filled with great fear. Yeah, that's probably the appropriate response, right? I think everyone would be filled with fear. I think the question, though, for me in reading this is, why these guys? I mean, you think about it, um, especially when you consider what's about ready to be said. 
why is it shepherds out in the field and not somebody, mm, how do we put this? Not somebody uh, important, right? Like, like, why not a king? Why not the high priest? Why, why, why not the Roman emperor, right? Why not a governor? Why, why not a soldier? Why, why, why not somebody who has clout and repu- reputation? Why, why, do, why, does, why does the Lord see fit to, to, to talk to these shepherds? Now, the text doesn't necessarily say why. So everything we, we say after this is probably just conjecture. But I could just say this, just reading it from my eyes, 2,000 years removed. For me... It seems like this is a message for common people. It's a message for big people and important people too, but these are just common guys. These are just common guys working, right? They're out in the field. They're doing a job, right? And so here the Lord appears to the common person. This is a, this is a message for people. This isn't a message for great ones, though it does include them. This is for us, right? So anyways, they're filled with this great fear. Then notice what it says then in verse 10. It says, and the angel said to them, fear not. Remember, we saw this last week of the angel saying this pretty famous command. Hey, don't be, don't be scared. Don't, don't be scared. Why? Because it is incredibly frightening to see an angel. Especially in, when you're out at night and all of a sudden a guy shows up that you don't know who is an angel. And automatically you know that there's some sort of sense of otherness. And now the glory of the Lord is shining all around you. There's a lot of reason to be afraid. But notice what the angel says. He says, I bring you good news of great joy. The reason the shepherds should not be, should be afraid, the reason that they should be rejoicing is because there's now this great news. He's going to explain what this good news is, this good news. But notice the response of this good news. The good news of what we read about of this baby being born, what's the response? It's good news of great joy, meaning that the announcement of the birth of Jesus is an occasion for great joy. Of course it was an occasion of great joy for them at that time. But for us reading, we should say it also is good news of great joy. We should have joy. We should be rejoicing at the announcement, the announcement of the long-awaited Messiah. And we look at this and go, yes, the long-awaited Messiah has come. Now, he came 2,000 years ago, but he still came. And that Messiah is just as much a Messiah today as he was 2,000 years ago. He, he doesn't change. The, the significance of the event does not change. Then notice what he says. He says, I bring you great news of great joy that will be for all the people. Of course, there's a debate here, as in all things in the scriptures, it seems like, of who are the people? Who are the people? There are some say the angel's only referring to the nationality of the shepherds, to the Jews. This is great joy for the Jews. That's, that's all the people that he's referring to. It's for all the people that are part of your people. There's others who say, no, he, he means the whole world, right? All people means all people. 
I think the answer is probably a little bit more nuanced than just it's either this one or that one. It is very true that this message of Jesus coming was great news to the Jews. This is incredible news. We have to realize we're worshiping a Jewish Messiah who comes from Jewish heritage. We are partakers in Jewish promises, right? God will restore his people, the Jews. So, of course, this is incredible news to them, to the Jews. This is great news. This is the best news. This is the most joyful news that any Jew could hear. But knowing the rest of the book, we realize that we will benefit. We, we, we as Gentiles benefit of the coming of Jesus, not only now, but in the future. So in my mind, it says, essentially, yeah, it would be for all people, but you have, you have to understand the statement here. This is a Jewish promise, right? Following Paul's example to the Jew first and then to the Greek, right? So, of course, all people means all people, but let's not just wash over and forget the fact of the significance of this event to the Jewish people. So he says, this is great news, great joy for all people. And then he says this, it's interesting, verse 11, for unto you. Who's he talking to? The shepherds, right? Now, in the sentence, it's all people, but he says, now to you. And thus, we see this brilliant truth. Jesus is for all people, and he's for you. Jesus for you. On to you. Is born this day, literally, right now. Right now, there's, been a, there's a birth. In the city of David, a savior. A savior is born for you. Now, the symbolism here is kind of interesting because here are these guys, they're literally sitting in the dark. All of a sudden, God gives them now this incredible message, right? Now there's light everywhere. And what, what, is, what is revealed in the message that comes from the light? That a savior is born for you. The question is, Savior from what? When we say Jesus is our Savior, what's he saving us from? What's he saving us to? Right? This isn't just a title. It's not just a title. He's a Savior. This means something. There's significance here when we say Jesus is the Savior. And we have to ask the question, saved from what? Saved to what? I think the Bible has a lot of answers about this issue of a savior. In the Old Testament, it was God alone who was the savior of the Jews. He was the savior of the people. He was the savior. There was no one else other than Yahweh as the savior. Numerous times in the book of Psalms, it says, and he saved us from danger. He saved us from the oppression of the Egyptians. He saved us. He rescued us. He saved us from our enemies. In the New Testament, this idea of a savior moves from God to now this specific one, Jesus. And Jesus is seen as the savior. Now, there is a passage that speaks of God the Father as a savior. God is the savior. But it's now in the one who came and died on the cross for our sins. And notice... Notice with me in the book of Acts chapter 5 what is said here 
Acts chapter 5, and just notice verse 31. So here, here's, here's Peter. Peter's responding to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees say, we command you to not speak in the name of Jesus again. And Peter's response is really important. He says, look, look, you tell us who we should listen to. Should we listen to God, or, we should, or should we listen to you? This isn't saying that we only listen to God, or we only listen to the government. It's saying, in this situation, which one would you suggest? And the solution is very clear. In this case, where they were telling him to do something that goes directly against what God has commanded them, obviously the solution is we've got to follow the Lord. So Peter, as, he, as he's explaining this to them in 531, notice what he says. And he says, God exalted him, this is, this is Jesus, to his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So when Jesus is a savior, we see in this text, Peter, in his mind, this salvation, this savior, is one from sin. It's from the consequence of sin. So so saves from sin, so there's forgiveness, and then there's this idea of repentance, which is this this, uh, paradigm shift in the mind. So that one can live for the Lord. So, so what's he rescuing us from? From sin and the consequence of sin. What's he rescuing us to? A life that can be lived for the Lord. Only Jesus can offer that. There's another one. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll just start in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. You see that? You see how hope and Savior are put together? He, he saves us from despair and gives us hope. Uh, later on, Paul will say he saves our life. Th- th- there is this sense that when, when Jesus is the Savior, he saves them from enemies, yes, he saves them from despair, but in this First coming with Jesus as the Savior. He is coming to save us from our sin, from the consequence of that sin, and then able to save us to lead a life that we're able to live for the Lord. Okay? Now, whether the shepherds understood that theological statement or not, it doesn't matter. That's the case. That's the truth. But I think they understand. I don't think they're stupid. Like, like they, they have no idea of language. So that when the, when, the, when the angel says, born this day is a savior, th- th- there's no doubt in their mind what the announcement is, that this is the Messiah. This is the promised one. So if we go back to Luke 2, notice it says in verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. And then notice this next statement. This next statement is incredible. Who is Christ the Lord? Now, Christ is a transliteration of the Greek word Christos, which is the word that's used to represent the Hebrew word Mashiach. These words mean the anointed one, the special one, the designated one. 
That's what a Messiah is. That's what Christ means, this designated one. Designated to do what? This one was designated from before his birth to be born from this particular family to do particular things. This one is sent from God who will act like the prophet, like Moses. He will deliver people from their sins. He will bring in this great new millennial reign. That's the idea. So here we see that Jesus is the Savior. Now we see he's the anointed one, this one that's been prophesied about hundreds of years before his birth. And then, and then there's this next one, the Lord. Now, it is true that in the ancient world, if there was somebody who owned land and a significant amount of land, you would call them a Lord. Okay? And it is true that it's the same word that's used here. I don't think that that is exactly what the angel means, that this one's just going to be some sort of dignitary. Because you have to understand that these are two Jewish people in a Jewish context. They read what was called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint used this word, Lord, when referring to a particular Hebrew word, Adonai. To a particular Hebrew word, Yahweh. You, you wouldn't say those names. They wouldn't say those names because those names are sacred. So they would have these other names that they would say when they're referring to God. And in, in the Greek, if they were talking to a Greek person, they would use this word, Lord. It is almost impossible, in knowing what we know about the context, knowing what we know about what the angel's saying, knowing who Jesus is, that the intention here by calling Jesus the Lord is anything other than a claim to the deity of this one who was born. <coughs> We could say this is the Savior, Yahweh the Messiah. That that could be the title. God the Messiah. Just just think about this announcement. Onto you a child is born who is a Savior. He's the Messiah and he's also God. The angel doesn't stop there. He says then in verse 12, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. Now, this is kind of interesting. This week, I have been thinking a lot about this. Why would the sign be the event itself, right? Here's the sign of the baby being born is the baby being born. It seems like an interesting sign itself, right? Now, here, this may be... uh, This may be some of the reason of why the English translations aren't as helpful as we would hope. Because the word sign can mean, yes, a divine signal to let us know that the one who's speaking is really from God. But let's be honest, the bright light coming from heaven would have been a pretty good indication that this angel is speaking from God. So the fact of a sign when one wasn't asked for is kind of interesting. Rather, it's probably understood this way. The one who is this, the one who is the Savior, the Messiah, God, this is how you will find him. These are the distinguishing marks that you can find this one, right? So so this announcement was, the Messiah is born. You want to go find him? This is the one you're looking for because he's born today. So this is the sign. And what's the sign? Well, he's he's wrapped in, in claws and lying in a manger. And remember... 
Mothers did not put their babies in feeding troughs. This wasn't a customary thing. So obviously this would have been pretty easy to find a baby in a feeding trough, right? Because Bethlehem isn't a big town. And all you got to do is just look in people's garages to see a baby in a feeding trough. Not to mention the fact that how many times is a baby born in a small town? That's a pretty significant event, right? A baby being born. Specifically of a traveler coming for a census, right? There was a traveler who, was, who just had a baby. Would have been very easy to find this one. And then I like how Luke writes this. Notice what he says next in verse 13. And he says, and suddenly. And suddenly. Okay, so just think about this. So there's, there's an angel here in their midst. And he's talking to them, right? There's this bright light. And suddenly, like this, it says, and there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. Literally, standing next to this angel, all of a sudden happened to be an army of angels. An army. We're not talking about a couple. We're not just talking. They are like an army. And, and, and that's the sense you get. Straight lines. You're getting the sense of a, of a military procession. It was just announced God was born. And what is more fitting than an army of heaven. And, and notice what happens. It says that this army appears and they're praising God. And this is what they're saying. Glory to God in the highest. The way I think we understand this idea of glory to God in the highest is the idea of you think about who's saying this. These are angels. Meaning about who, where does God deserve glory? In the highest place, in heaven. Ergo, glory to God here on earth as well. Glory to God in the highest. In the highest places of power, he is deserving of glory. He's deserving of praise. He's deserving of the acknowledgement of his character and of his will. He, he alone, and in the highest place that you could think, he is the one, he, his glory is reserved there for him. And he says, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This, this isn't peace on earth. Just a blanket statement, everybody's going to be best friends. That's not what he's saying. It's peace on earth with whom God is pleased with those people. So there's peace among the people who are recipients of God's grace. This is a special group of people. It's not a universal statement of peace to every single person everywhere. This is a peace to those with whom God is pleased. Special group. And, and, and then notice what happens, verse 15. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another. So the sense you get is, all of a sudden an angel comes up, bright light, you're scared. He says this, next thing you know, a whole army of angels, and they start saying this, and then they're gone. That's pretty remarkable. So then the angels say to one another, well, let us go over to Bethlehem, and see this thing that has happened. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Wouldn't you? I mean, if a whole bunch of angels all of a sudden told you about something, 
happening in Astoria, wouldn't you at least be a little curious to see what this one looks like? Let us go over and see. But, but, but notice, this isn't just curiosity. It says, let's go over and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has made known to us. See, they understand something here. They're not dumb shepherds. They understand something. They understand that the angels brought a divine message. This message is from God. This, this is a divine revelation. The only response to a divine revelation like this is to go see this thing because God's in it. This is something that God's doing. They see this as this is the birth of the Messiah. There's no other way to take it. This is the birth of the Messiah. So notice what they do. It says in verse 16, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Since you get is they started running, right? They went pretty quick. What did they do with the sheep? I don't know. I don't think they really cared at that moment what happened to the sheep. I think they just realized God gave us a revelation, and we saw a whole bunch of angels telling us the Messiah was born. We got to go see this. Whatever happens to the sheep, oh well, we were there seeing the Messiah. I think that's the sense. And they find this young family, this small family, and notice what happens, verse 17, and when they saw it, meaning, meaning this family, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Now imagine you're Mary and you're Joseph and a whole bunch of guys come in out of breath from the field and they tell you this story. It's pretty incredible, right? Imagine you're in that crowded house. There's a baby born. That's pretty cool. And all of a sudden now, guys from the neighborhood are coming in saying, we just saw a whole bunch of angels who said, this is the Messiah. The Messiah is born. This is the Messiah. That's remarkable, right? So notice, notice what happens here. And it says in verse 18, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. The sense here for wonder is to sit back in awe, to, to think in awe. I suppose that's one way to respond to this, right? To sit back in awe. But Luke points out something very important, and we, we can't miss it. You have to notice verse 19. He says, but. So what does that mean when we see the word but? It means a contrast, right? A contrast between what everyone else was doing, and now Mary has a different, she has a different response. And it says, and Mary treasured up all these things. It means she held these, and this was pretty special. Mary had already seen an angel named Gabriel who told her this incredible message. She already knew about her relative Elizabeth. By this time, Joseph has already seen an angel who told Joseph about this child. So the idea of angels bringing messages is not new to Mary. It seems strange. This would be unique, life-changing for any one of us. And in this young lady's life, Think about how many times angels had said things. So, so, so the, the, the wondering of whether an angel can bring a message is not even on her mind. What she's doing is going, this is something really special about this child. That angels are giving messages. And angels are giving messages to a whole bunch of people about this child. 
She thought about this. She held this. She remembered this. She remembered everything. And she, she looked at these memories favorably. And then notice what else she says. And pondered them in their heart. The other people were amazed. Wow. You saw an angel. She treasures and then thinks about this. She thinks about the implications of this. Not saying that there isn't others that do this, but Luke is quick to point out there's a difference in response here. So then we're told in verse 20, and the, sh- the shepherds returned, returned where? Their sheep, right? I mean, we're out, right, where they, right where they came from. And notice it says, and they were glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So they see this, they hear this, and they, what's their response? Praising the Lord for his greatness, for his goodness in sending the Messiah. So as we look at a passage like this, thousands of years removed, we look at this, and for me, this is reason to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Just knowing who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. That's reason to celebrate. Right? That's reason to have great joy because the Messiah is here. He's the Savior. That's great reason to celebrate because now there is one who can rescue me and deliver me from the consequences of sin and now has delivered me over so that I can live for him. That's reason to celebrate. Right? There's reason to celebrate because here you have this statement that says, glory to God in the highest. So this, this causes us to have this glorious rejoicing. There's something else that we see in this text that, that I think is, should be part of our rejoicing. I see these shepherds as great examples for us on what, what our rejoicing should look like this year, Right? I see this sense of being in awe of the glory of God, the sense of submitting to God, the sense of taking God's word seriously. That, that, that should be part of our rejoicing and our celebration. What this says is true. This is true. Praise the Lord, this is true. I can trust this. And, and, and what it says about God, and then thinking about the implications of what it says about God, and standing back going, wow. Wow, this great God knows me. This great God has revealed himself in the scriptures. I think another thing that we see is we see this incredible excitement about the great news. Yes, we should be excited about the birth of Jesus, but just because of what Jesus is going to do, he's going to die on the cross. For us, that is the great news, right? That's, that's the good news. That. that We translate that gospel, right? It's the good news. We're called evangelicals. That comes from the Greek word, which means good news. We're all about good news. And this good news is not reason to become a sourpuss or look like we're sucking on lemons all of our life. This is for great joy. God is saving man and changing man and making people more like Jesus Christ. And people are now worshiping the Lord. This is incredible news. This is the greatest news. There should be excitement about this news. I think there's another thing you see. These shepherds were not quiet in talking about this news. 
I mean, they talk to Mary. They talk to others. They're running back to the sheep. They're probably talking to the sheep. It doesn't matter. If it's moving, they're telling everyone about this great news. They're loud about it. Shouldn't we talk much about what Jesus Christ has done for us, especially at this time? I mean, I mean it, it is one of these holidays where people are talking about Jesus. But there's this other thing that I, I think is really important, and, and you see this in the response of Mary, and you see this in the response of the shepherds. There is this internalizing this great news thinking about this great news and treasuring this great news. And notice how it affects their life. Mary treasures it and thinks about it all the time. These shepherds, what do they do? They don't sell everything and all of a sudden become preachers. They go right back to their job. But while they're at their job, what are they doing? They're praising the Lord. So there's this this sense of this continual great joy. I think this is a great example. And so... You know, when we see these nativity sets, and, you know, I, I tend to be a little bit of a curmudgeon when it comes to Christmas decorations. I think that's what good theology does. It ruins, all, it all ruins a lot of Christmas songs, a lot of Christmas decorations. And so, nine times out of ten, when I see these manger scenes, I'm quick to try to point out, it's probably not that, it's probably not that, it's probably not that. The shepherds definitely were here, but the wise men were not here, whether they rode on donkey or whether they rode on camels or not. I have no idea. There definitely wasn't a cow there. All of these things. Maybe the encouragement this year would be we look and we see the shepherds and we go, hey, I need to be like them. I need to be excited about great news. I should be worshiping the Lord. This is a time of celebration. Right? This is a time for us to make much of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord give us both the will and the ability to do all that we heard today. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Mm-hmm.